Good morning. What a joy it is to be here today to celebrate and worship with you. And we are continuing on in our series called Made for More. And the great news about this series is that even if you don't feel like being more today, God has created you for that. And uh, as we've worked our way through these weeks, I just want to remind you that I'm not talking about uh, me wanting you to do more of what you're already doing or improve your workload or your capacity or become more efficient. Uh, what I'm inviting you to do is to look and to see and to uh, imagine what it is that God can do in your life in a, a new and a fresh way. I mean, isn't that great news? You know, we live in a world that's always pushing us to, to do more and accomplish more and be greater and have more. And, and God's all along the way saying, I, I am everything that you need. I have all that you need. I am enough for you and your salvation and for the salvation of the world. Isn't that great news? I mean, I especially needed to hear that today as we come off a week where we saw all the pictures and video of Hurricane Michael and the devastation that happened in Florida. And I don't know about you, but, you know, everything that happened with Harvey, and then you continue to look along the coast and you say, how is this ever going to get fixed? You know, what, what is it that I can do? I'm, I don't have enough to change it all. I don't even think Bill Gates has enough money to fix everything, right? And so, you know, we, we ponder that, we look at that, and we begin to shy away from it, or we get afraid, or we look for distractions, and yet God continues to call out to us and say the same thing he did to Moses. Remember? What is it you have in your hand? And what is it that God wants you to do with it? And we're going to continue to look a little bit closer at that, because I think it's so essential to just to ask that simple question, is, well, what is it that we do have in our hands? And what is it that God wants us to do with it? Um, and the great news is that you don't need to be afraid. I'm not asking for more money today. We've already taken up the offering. Your wallets are safe, right? You can relax. Breathe a little bit deeply. It's okay. Uh, what I'm inviting you to do, though, is just to, to hear and to listen and to see this, this powerful and amazing God that we serve. And to uh, explore that a little bit further, I want us to look at Exodus chapter 36. Um, and um, it is a great passage. And if you've never read it before, you're, you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, this is God speaking to Moses, and he says, Let Bezalel, Ohalab, and every other skilled worker whom the Lord has given skill, ability, and knowledge for the work of the building of the sanctuary do all that the Lord has commanded. Moses called together Bezalel, Ohalib, and every skilled person whom the Lord had given skill, who was eager to come and to do work, Moses gave them all the gift offerings that the Israelites had contributed to the work on the sanctuary. They kept bringing him spontaneous gifts morning after morning. Finally, all the skilled workers building the sanctuary left their work that they were doing one by one to come and to say to Moses, the people are contributing way too much material for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses issued a command that was proclaimed throughout the camp. Every man and woman should stop making gift offerings for the sanctuary project. So the people stopped bringing anything more because what they had already brought was more than enough to do all the work. All right, I know it's early and y'all are probably thinking, what in the world can you do with Bezalel and Ohalib on a Sunday morning, right? We've got work tomorrow. How in the world does this possibly apply to my life? Uh, and it is really a cool story because what they're doing is Moses is about to help them begin the project that would eventually build their tabernacle. 
Why does that matter so much? Well, the end of Exodus is that the people who were once slaves are now free to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, that is an amazing transformation if you think about it. These people who were slaves in Egypt, who were firmly under the hand of Pharaoh, who had jobs that really stunk. I mean, if you think of a bad job description, make bricks without straw. It really is a horrible job. And that not only were they desperate and they're crying out to God, uh, but they're probably really concerned about their future, right? If things are bad for them, they're probably thinking, what is going to be like for my kids? Things are only going to get worse. Uh, and really, we don't know how to get ourselves out of it. They've gone from that to a place where they're beginning to ask the questions of, how do we get better at our worship? How do we give more of our life over to God? I mean, it is so profound when you think about it. And on top of that, if you read just the chapter right before this, you have a really cool event happen. Moses says, we're going to need supplies to build this tabernacle, this sanctuary, this place of worship. And he makes a call out, and the people start showing up with everything they have. Uh, there's women who take off their gold earrings, and they're, they're handing it over to Moses. They're handing over their gems, their iPhones, their, their clothing, their, their everything. I mean, they're just handing it over to Moses because they want to see the tabernacle built. I mean, it's so, so amazing to them. It's so important to them. They're willing to give everything they have in order to make it happen. They're giving over their finest wood, their finest cloth, their finest clothes. I mean, everything that they could possibly give, uh, they're handing it over to to Moses. And you say, well, I could see why Rick thinks that's so cool. It's like they're just handing over their money to Moses. No, that, that's not it at all. What, what's so amazing to me is that their hearts have changed so greatly in the time of this story of Exodus. I mean, their, their hearts are belonging to God more and more. Each day, they're, they're giving that over to God, and they're saying, we belong to you. You are our God. We are your people, and everything that we have belongs to you. That's what's so amazing to me about this story, but there's even better parts of it. So, uh, chapter 36, let Bezalel and Oahab, oh, as I call him, and every other skilled worker from the Lord has given skill, ability, and knowledge for the work of the building and the sanctuary to do all that the Lord has commanded. And so these are some craftsmen, some skilled people that know how to fix things or build things, and they're always such a gift in the community of faith. I can't tell you what it is, a blessing as a pastor, when you have somebody who joins the church that is a master plumber or a master electrician or knows how to fix things, right? It is such a blessing because uh, they don't send us to seminary to learn how to fix air, no, they don't, fix air conditionings or things like that. So it is such a blessing to have those people. And this is what's going on. Um, these are people that have architectural skills or building skills, and then everybody gets behind them. Not only are they giving their support and their encouragement, not only are they changing their Facebook status, but, but more than that, they're showing up each day and they're giving over uh, gifts, it says right here. Um, they kept bringing him sp uh, spontaneous gifts morning after morning. I mean, can you think about that construction site, and each day there's people from the community that are showing up and giving uh, things that are needed to build the tabernacle. And it says in verse 6, Finally, all the skilled workers building the sanctuary left their work that they were doing one by one to come and to say to Moses, 
The people are contributing way too much material for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. And that's just the jaw-dropping moment in the story for me. I mean, did y'all catch that? That the, uh, the supplies, everything that was needed to build the sanctuary has gotten so great that the workers are wandering off, they're leaving the job site, going over to Moses and saying, hey, you gotta tell these people to stop bringing us stuff. I mean, isn't that just the coolest thing? That they've got so much, it's so abundant and so great that they go to Moses and they say, just, just tell them that we're good, we got enough. Stop that. I mean, it's such a profound thing to me because, forgive me, church, but, but in my years of ministry, it's usually the complete opposite. You know, we, we beg, we plead, we, we guilt, we do everything we can to get people to help out, to contribute, to make a difference. And, and I, I just, I dream, I long, I hope for the day that comes where I can look out on a congregation and say, hey, folks, we have enough. Quit giving. That would be so awesome. It would be so wonderful. I mean, can you imagine how good it would be if um, the pumpkin patch, you know, if we were starting to call people and say, hey, we've got enough help. You don't need to show up, but we're going to put you on the wait list. You're number 50. I mean, that'd be, that'd be awesome. It'd be so great. Uh, but this is what's happening for the people that are helping to build the tabernacle. And so Moses issued a command that was proclaimed throughout the camp. Every man and woman should stop making gift offerings for the sanctuary project. So the people stopped bringing anything more because what they had already brought was more than enough to, more than enough to do all the work. So it's such a, a cool story, and uh, I, I really like it for a number of reasons, and the one that I already lifted up to you is that, that their hearts had changed so greatly. It's just so profound to me that they've gone from being people who are enslaved to people who are free and that are giving more and more of their life over to God. And my, my hope and my dream with everybody that I work with or serve with or are or, or part of their lives is that that's what's happening in their lives as well. That they are moving from being people who are enslaved to sin and death, who are struggling, to being people who are free to give more and more of their life over to God. I mean, that is the, the hope and the dream that I have for every person that I encounter, that the love and the grace of God transform their life from being people who are enslaved to sin and death to being people who are living their lives in a way that shows that they are giving more and more of their life over to God. That is such a, a wonderful thing, such a powerful thing, something that I hope that we all pray and long for, right? Because um, most of the time when it comes to giving our skills, our time, our, our money, our resources, what I have seen is that even when people know that there's a clear need, even then when people know that there is a, a real good chance that it's going to make a difference, uh, that most of the time people are unwilling to give because they're afraid. They have fear in their life. That when they're looking at what they have, maybe it's a, a cash donation or some time that they could give, they get real afraid about it. They say, well, what happens if I give that money or I give that time and then I later regret it? What if I give 20 bucks and later on somebody comes to me and says, hey, I've got this valuable item that I'll sell you for 20 bucks and you don't have the money? Or, or what if it is that you have enough right now but you're fearful about what's going to happen in the future? 
What happens if, you know, Congress just implodes and our country goes down the drain? What do we do then, right? That uh, more than that, they're also afraid of doing the wrong thing. What if they help out? What if they give? What if they serve? And then all of a sudden, they find out that's not what they were supposed to do. You know, we, we have a culture of fear. Fear is something that is turned up high right now in our country. And if there was like one thing, if I could somehow reach into people's hearts right now, it's just dial that back a little bit. Just say, you don't need to be so afraid of what's going on in the world that we're a part of. And this is exactly what you see happen with these people in the story of the Exodus. They're, they're no longer afraid. They're no longer fearful. They were once slaves. They were once afraid of Pharaoh. They were once afraid of his power and his might. And now they're not. And you can say to yourself, well, if, in fact, I had seen God reach into my life and whoever it is that's keeping me down or whatever it is that's causing me problems, if, if I looked at that and God had sent a bunch of plagues to free me and then carried me across the Red Sea on dry land and then provided me with bread in the desert and then done all these other things, you know, lifted up a, a, a staff in the desert to keep snakes from biting me, if God had done all those things, then, then sure, sure, I wouldn't be afraid. But folks, we are a Christian people. We have a God who has overcome all those things and more. We have a God that even says, even if you die, I have that taken care of as well. Even if you face persecution or peril or sword or nakedness or anything like that, in all those things, we are more than conquerors. That the He who the one who has promised these things to us, He is the one that will deliver us. That if we look at it from that standpoint, what is it that we should be afraid of? Why are we fearful? Why are we troubled? Why are we concerned about all the things that keep us from being the people God created us to be? We are made for more. We are invited to be more by this God who continues to say, I will be with you. I will call you. I will deliver you. I am the one that can save you. That he is the one that does these things. Whom shall we fear if God is with us? I'm always amazed with what God can do. This past week, um, we had a chance to go and serve at a food kitchen called Some Other Place as a staff. And it's a really neat operation. They serve hundreds of, of people that are in need each and every day, downtown Beaumont. And I was talking with the guy that coordinates it and runs it. And I said, well, where do you get all your food? Do you go and you write a check to, to Walmart each day? And he said, no, 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 we can never do that. I said, well, where does it all come from? He says, well, you know, there's restaurants that donate food. There's uh, people that give money to, to donate all these things. And I said, so, so basically all the, the food, all the money that you have is all just contributed. It's like it just shows up. He said, well, not exactly, but pretty close. And I thought to myself, can you imagine, can you think about for just a moment that you are somebody that looks at the homeless situation in Beaumont and you say, how could I possibly help feed these people five to six times a week? You know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough things. And that somebody said to you, well, I think God is just going to provide a way. Can you, do you think you would have the faith to trust in that? And yet time and time again, this is what I have seen happen, that people are willing to take that step forward and trust in what God is going to do next. They see God do great things, provide in ways that you and I would never imagine. And I hope and pray that that is the case for you, that you have seen those things or that you 
trust in those as well. So what about you? Is fear something that you continue to struggle with? Are you afraid of what might happen? Or maybe it is just a matter of you've never really thought about how you could be somebody that contributes or gives your skills and your resources and your abilities to the kingdom of God. Maybe you look around and you say, there's other people for that, or I don't have time, I don't have any money. The great news is, one, God never asks us to give something we don't have, right? You'll never find a story in the Bible where God says, go and give something you you don't have. God always speaks to them and says, what's in your hand? What can you do with it? The other reality is that uh, we are always invited to trust and believe in God during the the hard times of our life. I think of uh, what I've seen time and time again is that people believe that generosity or giving or giving of their time is based off of their inspiration, of how inspired they are, how they feel about it, rather than it be something they plan out or that they are disciplined about. And um, when I've seen this, it kind of reminds me like, Have you ever taken a balloon and blown it up? Sure you have, right? Have you ever taken that balloon and begun to try and keep it up in the air? What does it require? You have to keep smacking it, right? If you have some other way to keep a balloon that you've blown up in the air other than smacking it, let me know, all right? Tell me after the service is over. And uh, that when I look at people in the churches that I've served, it's a lot like that, that they come and they they kind of muster up their strength. They try and do their best. And... um, you know, hopefully they hear a message or they hear a song that inspires them and that inspiration kind of smacks them up in the air and they go out, they do a little bit better that week and then around what, Wednesday, right? They're kind of back down, back down to the middle of it, back down to the bottom and uh, then they look for the next inspirational thing. You know, they download a podcast, they, they listen to the radio, they try and find the next inspirational thing because they think that's what they need. They just need to keep on being smacked up into the air so that they can do a little bit better, try a little harder. And the story that's in the Bible is completely different. It's more like helium. It's something that fills us from within, that carries us, that enlivens us. The Spirit of God speaks into our hearts and our lives, and we no longer need external motivation to do what it is that God has called us to do, but rather we find ourselves loving God more and more each day, being willing to give more of our lives over to Him in powerful and mighty ways. So, um, one last story. In uh, John chapter 14, or John chapter 12, there's this really wonderful story. Um, They're having a dinner party uh, with Martha and Lazarus and Mary. And um, there's a a time in the the story where they've been eating, and then all of a sudden it says, Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three-quarters of a pound of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with their hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who had been about to betray him, complained, This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what it was in it. And why I love this story is because this person who has got a a difficult past, got a reputation, recognizes who Jesus is and is inspired to be generous. 
And throughout the New Testament, you see this happen all the time. People who are struggling, who are hurting, recognize who Christ is, and they become generous people. Not only this story, but remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. Was he? Or is that deep and wide? Right? All right. And what happens? Jesus calls him out of the tree, invites him to dinner. And you all remember the rest of the story? You didn't get this in Sunday school, probably. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to take the money that I shouldn't have taken and give it back to the people that I owe. I'm even going to repay it double. I mean, it's so generous. It's so great. And what I want to invite you to do is just think about that story of Mary, and she has the what? That alabaster jar, that expensive perfume. And just think for yourself, what is that for you? What is it that is pricey in your life or costly in your life? that might be something that God desires you to use for the kingdom of God? Have you thought about that? I, I invite you this week just to consider that, to pray about it, or, or just today. Name two to three things that you have that you don't really use that maybe you could sell or that you could put into use for the kingdom of God. I am... Um, Just a couple of stories, right? Um, we had a, a fun campaign in my last church where we tried to raise money to get a new bus so that we could take the youth to camp and et cetera places. And um, we had a matching fund set up, and we encouraged people to give and to contribute to this. And um, they were not exactly all that enthusiastic about it. And I began to pray about it and, and ask God, how are we going to change this? Because we need to get those kids to camp. We've got to do all these things. And God says, well, you know, you have something that you could sell. And I said, well, Lord, you know, um, other than my antique collection of Civil War chess pieces, I really don't know what you want. You know, right? like, and, uh, and God said, no, you got something else. And um, I had been given a guitar. And it was a guitar that, what is this, like the Oscars? No, seriously. What are we getting this from? Alan? I've got time, folks. All right. So I have been given this guitar as a gift. It was a Gibson Les Paul. It was sweet. And it had a custom case, everything to it. And I said, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to give that away. I don't want to sell that. I really love this guitar. I have prayed for it, wanted it forever. And God said, no, that, that really would be helpful. He said, I'm sure it would be helpful, Lord. There's certainly other things that we could sell. Maybe you can get some money for the, I don't know, um, old beat-up lawnmower in my garage, whatever. And, uh, but I really began to pray about it, and I, I, I sold it. And it was one of the most freeing moments of my life because I, then I had like 500 bucks that I could give to this cause. And within a certain amount of weeks after we had donated the money, um, I was able to talk to the people that were in my church and say, this is what it looks like when we live a Christian life. That we ask the simple question of, what is it that we have in our hand that God could use for the greater good of the kingdom? So what about you? Maybe you got something in your house. Maybe there's something that you can move around. Maybe there's something in a, a storage garage that you have that you're paying hundreds of dollars each week or month to keep cool and dry that you could used for the greater good of the kingdom of God. Because, brothers and sisters, as we pick up our cross and follow Christ, it's not a matter of what do we need to gain, what do we need to gather, what do we need to keep more of, what do we need to stuff away in our, our junk drawer. 
it's always that, that question of what is it that I have that I could use for the kingdom of God? Because he's building something greater in our world than the tabernacle. He's bringing about the kingdom in our world, in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I desperately want to be a part of that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you and call out to you. You know our fears. You know our struggles. You know what it is that we have in our hands and what it is that we are able to contribute. We pray in this time that you would help us to look beyond those fears, those doubts, and to see you standing before us. Christ, our risen Lord, the one who is here to save the world, help us to give all that we are, all honor and glory and praise to him this day. Help us to see that there's nothing in this world that compares to him and that you have given us all that we have. And all these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name.